ultimately the community, the people, are at the heart of what's going to come out of, out of a community. Is it goodwill and success, or is it going to be, you know, the constant conflict and let's kill, 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 get the traps out? This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers presented by the Fur Bears. LaSalle Park in Burlington, Ontario, is a beautiful area right on the shore of Lake Ontario. It has a diverse ecosystem full of wildlife, walking trails, and natural history. But it's also where some individuals have complained coyotes are spending time and not reacting how residents believe the wild canids should. I spent a few hours with Leslie Sampson, co-founder and president of Coyote Watch Canada, walking the trails, discussing what factors could lead to behavior in coyotes that is received as troubling and what we can do about it. Following our walk, we recorded a conversation in the parking lot of LaSalle Park to review our thoughts and observations. A five-minute news brief edit of this episode is available at thefurbears.com, the iTunes store, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. What are some of the issues that we hear about in Burlington in regards to coyotes? Well, I think when you look at uh, the nature of the sighting reports and with little follow-up and follow-through, it's difficult to really identify what the actual reality is at a particular location. So public perception and interpretation of what's being observed might not necessarily reflect the reality of a particular area. And so, for example, uh, folks are, you know, in every community, it's always those that want to feed and take care of the wildlife versus those that enjoy seeing them but let them do their own thing. And then others that might have a different uh, idea in mind, whether it's harming them or just get rid of them because they're an inconvenience. So I think when we look at what are the real issues in a community without doing a thorough investigation, we can sit here and come up with scenarios that really are are not reflective of, of the reality. That does seem to be one of the problems we often hear about in media is these individual anecdotal tellings and that's not to take away from the very real concern or fear people feel because that is real we can't discount that but how do we then you know we we are referencing a community website where they have been quote tracking coyote encounters uh and we are considering what one or two local politicians are saying uh and we're down here in, in LaSalle Park in Burlington uh and we've seen lots of wildlife. We haven't seen any coyotes today. Um, so what, is, what would be the right sort of set of steps to take? When looking at the challenges that wildlife can present, if we don't have uh, a good grasp on behavior, seasonal milestones, how our behavior will impact their behavior in terms of foraging, and if it's a, a predator, Um, hunting behavior it's not about coyotes you have to look at the entire ecosystem 
what animal species, what is the inventory of living beings in a particular area, which would also include the human dimension, and look at the reality, engage community members in responsible stewardship. Uh, this is a great example of you know, uh, food being provided at every turn you know, little stations with seeds. Uh, the you know, you look at the squirrels; they're rotund. And then you throw in dogs off a leash, dog feces, uh, seeds left on railing by park benches, uh, garbage thrown. Um, you know, in parking lots, there's evidence of food there. Let's talk the facts. Let's look at what is truly happening. Whether it's in this park or somebody's backyard or a trail system, the violent, aggressive move of destroying an animal species because it challenges us, puts us all on notice to be better citizens, better at our job, better at our political position, uh, that, that isn't a solution. It's a very uh, violent action which really takes the empowerment away from the citizen. And so getting out and doing the footwork in the field and being able to sit down at the table, put the issues on that table in, in a real honest, uh, you know, honest dialogue instead of candy coating it and coming up with solutions that are extremely cruel and very short-term. We all have a responsibility, whether it's the person being paid up at the top, the folks that filter out beside that individual, volunteers, everybody has a role to play, and so does the citizen. And so we can present scenarios that might help bolster our position or we present scenarios that are based on fact and evidence. And unfortunately, that far too often is missing. I find it always interesting when we talk, how much we talk about people as opposed to coyotes. And I do want to come back to some of the coyote behavior and some of the seasonality. It's important to me though to paint a picture, and maybe we should have started here. So we're in LaSalle Park, which is in Southwest Burlington, right on the water. And it is sunny, but it is two degrees without the wind chill. So probably below freezing with the wind chill. And the park is busy, I would say. Uh, since we've gotten here, we've seen several people with dogs. Uh, I saw one person with uh, a little French bulldog on an extendable leash with a prong collar, which I like actually made my brain stop working for a minute. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, elderly people walking around and holding out their hands to give uh, to try and get birds to land in them with seed. We've seen people feeding them. Uh, we saw people making fun of the geese for following them, even though they don't have food. Uh, it's a very diverse group of people that use this park. And what I found funny of one part was that there was a don't feed wildlife sign and had a whole bunch of reasons as to why you shouldn't do it. And a big sign that said, do not feed wildlife. And I took video of this and it will be available on the, the pages. And if you walk about 15 feet away from that, there is a structure full of seed with squirrels looking at it that weren't there because you, me, and Pigeon were there. Uh, so when we talk about having an inventory of wildlife, 
I think that's all well and good, but can we have an inventory of people? Can we discuss the different type of users of a recreational space, whether it's urban or suburban like this is, or more rural, uh, say like Algonquin Park? Can we categorize the types of people, and would that be beneficial? Well, I think when we look at any location such as this, beautiful uh, view, the land is lovely, uh, being able to see the waterfall present. This is a place of, of great learning, peace, tranquility, but it also can be a place of uh, high-level conflict and inappropriate behavior and escalation on behalf of people. So I think if, if we're looking in, into research of the folks that would decide to come here, I think we can be motivated on a day-to-day -day basis on why we seek out a particular area. Um, but I think it would be a fair, uh, although anecdotal, it would be fair to say that far too often we, the human species, will go to a particular location for the enjoyment of wildlife, but there's some parameters to that enjoyment. They'll tolerate certain species, but absolutely, you know, vilify the other. And oftentimes, you know, coyote, obviously not here, uh, wolves, bear, cougar, depending on the, you know, the uh, animal that's being targeted. We want to see certain animals, but boy, oh boy, if others come along, uh, we, we don't, we're not very tolerant of that. And I think that says a lot about who we are as creatures in this whole, this whole script of life. So I think looking at the individual of who would come here, I think, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. But again, I think that could change. And I'm sure I, I've been here on numerous occasions during very peak uh, times where uh, there's a lot of activity here and the animals that are present here have lost a lot of their natural aversion to people um, you know they're they're following which <clears throat> average citizen would say stalking they're not going to describe goose or squirrel or duck or chipmunk behavior as stalking, but if, if it was a coyote, they would claim stalking. And it, it's behavior, it's demand behavior. And if they've followed somebody and received a reward in the past, well, why not try it again? So we don't know the food education of the animals we come in contact with. You don't know what the person before you times that by hundreds of people. I mean, we were here in a very short uh, segment of time and there was like I don't know how the wildlife survives a day here and this is not atypical I think there's a lot of places where our presence really puts the wildlife at risk it is interesting I was here last night uh, geocaching which I'll do an episode on over summer but I was here with JJ, who is my German Shepherd lab mix. She's 60 pounds, tall, black and tan. 
and she is very interested in eating squirrels. And I think she communicates that to said squirrels very clearly. But what was incredible was seeing the squirrels not really run away. Yeah. They, they just sort of, they, they watched. They went, okay, yeah. you know, whatever. There was a, uh, a couple of geese that followed us. And again, I, I know geese are a little insane, but you know, she is larger than a coyote. Uh, and they not only don't show any aversion to her and I, and again, I am a large person with a big voice and I was talking the whole time. Uh, they just, they're, okay, that's acceptable that you're here and I'm going to be close to you just in case you decide to feed us. Uh, yeah. it, it is remarkable to see how significant that is. Yes, yes. And I think you, you've hit on such it's it's the nucleus of what we're dealing with when people by virtue of their behavior impact animal behavior and it's never in a in a good way you know you've got animals that are seeking out proximity tolerance to people because the reward is food well coyotes are in that mix fox are in that mix um and that's the reality but the people have created that here. The wildlife hasn't. The people have. And we have to get back to the basics again about why do we have these conversations with coyotes smack dab in the middle. Um, again, coyote being the eco-thermometer, we need to stand up and pay attention and take stock in what's being presented to us through the behavior. And so this is one location which would be considered a hot spot um, and you know I <clears throat> you know when Coyote Watch Canada engages with communities there's a there's a buy-in into the program so if one or more of the cornerstones are missing the investigation prevention education and enforcement if one of those cornerstones is being completely ignored Oh, the the success of uh, a coexistence program is is uh, going to be minimal, and I think I think folks really need to uh, come to the table with uh, integrity and honesty. For those listening, Leslie just realized she's been leaning against my car, and there is now a single clean spot where she was leaning. <laughs> um, <laughs> We, we've kind of gone on a bit of a loping conversation about this because we've been walking around this park for the last hour and just chatting as we went. Uh, so I've got lots of thoughts in my head, uh, which makes this sort of a, a weird interview. Although I think people who are used to hearing the two of us talk are familiar with that. This is, as I said, it's a beautiful park. It's a beautiful day. There's a lot of people out here. What would solutions be? I mean, there is signage up. I think in this area of Burlington, it is very, very clear that there are coyotes. I, I don't know how you can not know at this point. There are coyote signs that you helped create up and about. Yeah. What do we do at this point? And I'm not saying, what do we do to fix it, but how do we perhaps start reframing elements of it in, in a much more compassionate way of saying, okay, this is where you're at, this is where we're at. Let's find at least a middle ground to start from. Well, the, the citizens have to be engaged you're always going to get the odd individual that no matter what 
the solution or resolution is they're not going to be happy unless they get what they want. But, I mean, this is a, a fabulous community of very compassionate, wonderful people. And there is a kinder, gentler, more sustainable way in really setting up the community for success as opposed to constant elevated conflict. And so <clears throat> if we look at what the issues are and identify where those hot spots are and look at what's happening in a particular area, whether again it's in a, a public park area or a backyard, um, you know, the animal behavior tells us what's happening. And we've got to put the pieces of the puzzle together and, and work with the individual, but also uh, the greater community. In a park like this, uh, it would be great to have, you know, um, an outdoor kind of celebration and, you know, highlighting the beauty and, and the gifts and the experiences one can have coming here. But also, these are the things that really uh, put a black mark on this type of destination is when our behavior is this so oh clearly the signs are there I have to say though I think it's difficult for many folks to read the signage because it is up too high uh, that's something that uh, can be fixed though there's always you know subtle changes that can help create a, a, a better situation and I mean, you know, uh, we can't be everywhere at all times. And agencies that would typically respond to uh, calls can't be everywhere. I mean, the, ultimately the community, the people are at the heart of what's going to come out of, out of a community. Is it goodwill and success or is it going to be, you know, the constant conflict and let's kill 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 get the traps out and get rid of them because I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and and there'll be other issues that will come of note there is someone playing frisbee with their off-leash dog behind us right now let's talk about the time of year because I think that's coming up in the news now yeah. we've seen both good and bad media already on this whether it's the good one saying hey Coyotes are going to be out and about. All wildlife is going to be out and about Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, just practice good husbandry of your property, your animals. Uh, be aware. Be a steward. Um, and we've also seen the one of, oh, my God, oh, my God, the raccoons are marching upon us and will steal our children. By the way, there's also coyotes, wolves, bears, oh, my. So let's talk about what coyotes actually are doing this time of year. Well, you know, each family's individual, right? So you can't, you know, we can have the general milestones in the season of mating, which is already passed, and then, you know, the the um, gestation periods, you know, 62, 63 days, then they're going to be establishing new den sites or cleaning up their their old ones from last year or the year before. So... Um, the pups will be born and then they start coming out of the den. Uh, they'll be venturing out and going to the rendezvous sites after about six weeks. So you're looking at late June, early July, and they might be more visible. Mom and dad are out hunting and foraging. 
and they're left at rendezvous sites. So um, this has been uh, ongoing here in this particular uh, city as it is in other cities. You know, the coyotes leave the pups and, but with dogs off leash, mom and dad are very diligent as human parents are. And a dog off leash is very dangerous and they're going to be protective. So um, you might have your dog on the leash, but there could be dogs before you that the caregivers had them off leash. So we don't know what the experiences are of these animals. We have to think about that because if we're in the park, think about that hundred times over of what the wildlife is having to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, coyotes obviously are looking for safe places to raise their families and if you have outbuildings in your backyard, a tree that's been uprooted, uh, mounds of, of soil, they will actually utilize those too. So you got to do that wildlife proofing sweep on your property and uh, ensure that it's not just coyotes again though. We're talking about every other animal species. There's already, you know, raccoon babies, uh, porcupines, not in this area, but there's been, you know, a great x-ray floating around of a baby porcupine in the mom and uh, all the animals are establishing safe places to raise their families. And our pets off leash have a dramatic impact on the well-being of not just the wild canid cousins of our domestic dog, but uh, the other species too. And I think looking again at the ecosystem, it's not just about coyotes and birds of prey. Folks just, you know, I, I, I don't get why there is this reluctance to understand and correlate the danger uh, we often get asked size of fencing. We're not giving any person advice on fencing. First of all, we don't have access to the property and it doesn't matter because you could erect a very great high fence and birds of prey, hawks, owls, eagles will come and grab your small dog or cat. And if your neighbor is putting household or foliage from the backyard cuttings over the side of the fence it starts building up building up and then we have a great pathway for all sorts of animals to climb over the fence so you know you have to have due diligence if you're in an area that you know a particular species is is living there remember that but your fence is not going to protect your small dog or cat from those birds of prey some species of weasels too. Mm -hmm. Or raccoon. Raccoons. Yeah, I'm, I'm right in the middle of Hamilton <clears throat> and I have to take one of our dogs out late at night because he has uh, bad kidneys and needs extra pee breaks. And I go out with him and I say his name very loudly and I turn my flashlight on because raccoons and skunks do tra you know, traverse through our backyard uh, at night. And I want them to be aware that we are coming so that they have a chance to go away. And I think that's something that probably, when, when I have read a lot of accounts of conflict uh, or of uh, alleged aggression in coyotes, including a couple around here, to me, my accounting of it was very clearly that coyote was surprised. Mm -hmm. Like they, they got attacked in their mind. And that's something you mentioned that 
I find it's, it's difficult even just to, to verbalize, but it's something we need to discuss more is considering the viewpoint of the animals, of the wild animals in these cases, and of the domestic animals. How, how is the dog perceiving what's going on? How is the coyote? How is the squirrel? Uh, what are the birds thinking? And yes, yeah, some of these animals may not have higher cognitive functioning, but they still have emotional responses. They still have instinctual Instinct. responses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did I just say? It's spotches. <laughs> instinctual responses. Look at the red-winged blackbirds that you know, for you're going by their nesting area, and they like. Yep. They, I've been attacked so many times. Attacked. There's that word, you know, yep. um, and I deliberately used it. Uh, you know, defense. That red-winged blackbird family was defending the nest. And so I'm running by, you know, or doing an investigation, and that's what happens. They swoop down. Owls will do the same. Hawks will do the same. Yep. <laughs> one of my favorite things to see, speaking of this, and I used to see this at one of the offices we had for the newspaper years and years and years ago, was uh, there would be a lot of red-tailed hawks. Cause we were always along the highway corridor. And you would see, and I don't know, I don't know birds very well, but you'd see these little birds, whether they were starlings or sparlings or one, one of the little ones, uh, you know, like four inches long with a wingspan of six inches. And you would see, um, oh, there's another off-leash dog behind us. Uh, this, oh, jeez. Uh, anyway, and you would see these, uh, these three little birds just go after a, red t- a bird that could easily pluck them out of the sky. And to me, that was always fascinating mm-hmm. to see because they were protecting their nests. Bravery. Yeah. Courage. Wow. Like right? It's, it's remarkable. And no concern for their own safety no. because their priority is protecting their home and their offspring. Uh, and that's all, that just is one of those interesting moments that makes you think about what we're actually seeing. Um, now the off-leash dog is running through an empty but still children's playground. Right. And... You know, we could get into the stats of dog bites yep. in communities and all those things. Well, that's what I mean. Whenever this comes up, we always have those conversations, but it never really seems to matter because it doesn't, it doesn't appease the concern. Nope. It's just sort of showing in terms of It's like whenever you hear about a, a shark incident and you, uh, uh, well, now the leash is on, I think probably because we are staring at yes. him, uh, <laughs> staring at it with microphones and camera phones. Um, but whenever we hear about shark incidents, the first thing is, you know, you are more likely to hit by, be hit by lightning twice or so, some of these incredible things. Uh, you know, you are more likely to die Garage getting... door. Yeah, getting into your car in the morning is more dangerous oh. than getting, you know, bit by a shark. So it's, it, it's, it's all of this perspective and it's very difficult because I think we have to get... That's why I was asking about reframing before as opposed to just telling... Um, and I'll, I'll tell a short anecdote. As I said, I was here last night, and there was a young family uh, feeding the ducks, the, the geese, the swans, seagulls, uh, several species uh, that we saw today as well. They were all snoozing um, on the beach. But there are signs that say, do not feed the wildlife, do not feed the waterfowl. And I was here, and I said, excuse me, did you know that it's actually very unhealthy? And they had a hunk of white bread, like a loaf. And I said, it's very unhealthy to give that to the birds. And they kind of said, yeah, sure, and smirked. They said, it causes this thing called angel wing they can't get better from. Uh, it's, it's like feeding your kids junk food, or not even junk food, but candy all day, every day. 
Uh, they get addicted to it. It causes all kinds of problems. And they said, oh, okay. And they wandered off. And I'm quite certain they went around the bend and kept feeding because all of the birds followed them. And they came back five minutes later with nothing in hand. And I, I was talking about this with Kate. And she said, the problem is you didn't provide them with an, a solution or with an alternative. I just said, what you're doing is wrong. And from the moral high ground, uh, yes, that's right. But that, that's not going to change their behavior. So a more appropriate thing to do would be to say, if you are going to feed them, you have to use species appropriate food, but be aware that it can have consequence. Uh, you know, you've got little children here and there are lar birds that are bigger than your kids yeah. running up to them. There are squirrels <clears throat> running around them. And you shared an anecdote. Um, <laughs> we'll remove names from this story yes. for the, the yes. protection of the identities of those involved. Yes. But you yes. were there. Uh, yeah. And again, at this very park. Uh, so what was your story? Well, I was having a conversation. We were doing some work here and uh, I had my hand on the, there's a wooden walkway that runs through the uh, base of this little foothill right to the beach and it's wooden anyway I had my hand on the railing and you know I was looking at the individual I was speaking with and um, the squirrel came up and actually you know bit my hand obviously looking for food this this lovely rodent was so rotund and uh, it kind of had a look on its face like where's the food so that's demand behavior it's not that the squirrel was crazed and I was, you know, busy in, in, you know, engulfed in my conversation. So, yeah, I got bit. But there were seeds all along the railing. And, and all these squirrels, like, following and nattering and hanging about. Well, a squirrel, I mean, look at, you know, uh, my, I was bit. Not that it, you know, it's, it healed. It scarred you deeply, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I could, you know, it should have been reported. Squirrel attacked me. <laughs> I had some blood too. I was very six point headlines across the newspaper. Yeah. Deadly squirrel on the loose. Yeah. Squirrel attacks hand. But you know, again, I, I'm making light of it, but think about how that is going to be laid out to the media if in fact it was a coyote that, you know, pulled on somebody's coat or you know, grabbed onto a knapsack because lots of folks before you who clearly isn't feeding the coyotes, lots of folks before you with knapsacks did stop and give the coyote some food. And it's pretty obvious by coyote behavior, um, following folks in a parking lot, especially during the winter months, people are throwing their food out, sitting in their cars, and of course all sorts of animals are coming, including coyotes and fox. And then come the summertime where there's lots more food those coyotes are just looking, wow, there's the cars. I got some rewards before. I'm going to try my luck again. And then, of course, the uh, you know story provided that runs in the media is coyotes are stalking people in the parking lot. And it creates this massive cycle oh. of fear and of not actually changing the behavior of nope. anybody involved. Uh, which, again, it sort of brings back to that point of, you know, in the case with this waterfowl saying you shouldn't be doing it, it is, there are bylaws against it as far as I'm aware here, uh, specifically related to waterfowl. Uh, there are signs all over the place saying don't do it, and it lists the reasons that I provided. So 
I should next time say you shouldn't do that. It like it is unhealthy for them, and maybe also provide some other ways that their kids can find out more about these animals because that is something that people love to do. They love to feed birds. So in a case like this, where we're seeing people feeding birds, feeding squirrels, how do we start to, and I get you and I both just want to say, don't do it, bottom line, underscore. But we need to also recognize that a lot of people aren't going to do a 180 in their behavior. So rather than feeding, and we saw one woman, very kind woman, put out her hand with seed and wanting a bird to fly down to be close. And that's something we've all probably done at one point or another. Uh, yes, absolutely. So what can we recommend? I mean, like we saw one gentleman with a, with a nice camera. We saw people uh, just with their cell phone cameras taking pictures. Sitting quietly. You know, our kids are just bombarded with technology. The cell phone, the computer, the iPad, what have you. Uh, that That ability to explore and be out in nature and be still and quiet. We need to reframe our relationship with creatures that are not walking on two legs. Our kids are learning from us. I don't believe we we need to be feeding animals to have really healthy, appropriate boundaries and relationships with them. So bringing kids out and handing an animal food, you're conditioning that child to think that it's okay to do that first of all. Secondly, they need our help, which by golly, animals have been surviving without us millennia. Um, we have to reframe it, deconstruct why we need to feed and provide that information. But also at the end of the day, the enforcement of the bylaws that are in place send the message. The pocketbook counts. You know, I th- there's so many great ways to appreciate nature. We don't need to feed animals to enjoy and appreciate and learn about. I think let's just move the feeding right out of the equation. You can learn more about Coyote Watch Canada and Leslie's work at coyotewatchcanada.com. That's it for now, folks. Thanks for joining me, and remember to check out how you can support the show as a patron for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash Defender Radio. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. Stay strong.